Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Are you convinced he goes into coaching? Johnny? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. But I think he could be a great coach. Get him on the pod. I gave him a paddle and then a sit down afterwards, you know, it's just <laughs> I can see it. I'll, I'll happily write it up. The end of an era at Leinster, Munster's dreadful start to the season and Bundy Aki's latest red card are all topics of discussion on the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast. Will Slattery here with you, and I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Rory O'Connor for our chat this evening. But before I bring in the lads, a quick reminder that we want to hear from you as much as possible this season. So if you have a question you want answered, you can tweet myself or Luke or email us at the left wing at independent.ie. Now, unfortunately, I forgot to send out the tweet this week, so we won't have any questions coming, but please keep it up. We really appreciate uh, all the questions we've gotten so far this year. So next week, I'll send it and hopefully a few of you get in touch with questions you'd like answered. Rudd, we've some very meaty talking points to dig our teeth into tonight. I think we'll start with the most recent, maybe, and work our way backwards. Yesterday, it was confirmed that Stuart Lancaster is leaving Leinster at the end of the season after what will be seven seasons in charge to go to Racing 92. How are you kind of, I suppose, reacting to the news? Like, are, are you seeing it as a you know catastrophic loss, a guy who's been so influential to Leinster and maybe their ability to maintain their position at the top of Europe now might diminish, or... As Lancaster himself said in his press conference yesterday, is after seven seasons, is that a good time maybe for a new voice to come in and build on the foundations that he's laid? Well, like nothing lasts forever, Will. You know, it, it's it, coaches come, coaches go, players come, players go, and it's all about what you do next and how you how you plan to succeed him and whether you get that appointment right. And if Leinster get that appointment right, then the show will go on. And if they get it wrong, then they'll come back to the pack a little bit, like what happened between you know when Joe Schmidt moved on and and that. You know, Matt O'Connor came in. It wasn't the right fit. Um, things went backwards for a couple of years. Leo came in. He struggled for a year, and then Lancaster came on board, and it clicked. And suddenly, Leinster were, you know, as good if you know, maybe not as good as before, but you know, maybe the, the world had changed as well, and it was a more competitive landscape. I'm not sure, but they've been the top team certainly in our neck of the woods. Un, in Lancaster's time, they've been one of the most consistent best teams in Europe during his time in charge. He is a loss, no doubt about it. But I, the day was always going to come. Even Leo Cullen said the day was always going to come when he was going to move on. He's he's he had no connection with Dublin before he came here. He is very thankful, I think, and owes an awful lot to Leinster for taking what at th- that point was a chance on him. Um, you know, I was one of the people who was skeptical about it and how it would work in terms of you know Leo Cullen appointing what you know, looked like a threat at the time, you know, and how that marriage would work. But in, it turned out to be a masterstroke. 
Um, he's given seven years of his life. He's commuted from Cumbria or from from you know Leeds Bradford Airport regularly to to do it. It's worked out really well for him. It's worked out really well for Leinster. And now he moves on to a to a job where he's the top man in a good club. And Leinster have to go about replacing him. He's given them loads of notice. He's given them loads of service. I don't, you know, I, I think it's it's a natural enough end to a to a, a very successful relationship. Yeah, seven seasons, almost two World Cup cycles, to put it in that kind of parlance. It's a long time uh, for any coach. Luke, it's obviously you, when you retired, it was like a few months before Stuart Lancaster came in, so you never got to work with them. But given how you were in the setup just before that, you probably have a good idea about the, some of the impact he's made anyway. Like, what's your view on, on him finally leaving? As Rob mentioned, probably maybe a little surprising he's been here as long as he has, considering the success he's had. Yeah, I think, do you know what? It's a funny one. I, I always think, and similar to Andy Farrell in, in some ways, they're kind of. Ireland is actually isn't that big a shift for these guys, you know, versus, say, someone coming over from maybe London or even from a different climate where, like, like in Australia or something like that. That's sometimes that can be a little bit challenging, you know. Um, Dublin's actually a great place to live. I think he came in at a perfect time where there was lots of guys who had, you know, uh, they were pretty good young players, um, you know, come through the academy, maybe played a year or two when I was there um, in the senior team. But we obviously hadn't had the success. Uh, probably just on the cusp of it, really. Um, and then he kind of caught the East and Asiwa. He caught the Johnny Sexton. Come, you know, he, he actually he timed everything kind of perfectly. And the club was really, you know, it was a perfect marriage because I think he actually, you know, he did allude to the fact that upon leaving England, you know, he probably thought he did too much on the management side versus actually uh, coaching. And I think Leinster was a perfect situation for him to go ahead and do that and implement some of the ideas that he brought from his time in New Zealand after he, you know, he took a trip around there and got some ideas and refreshed himself. So, yeah, everything was, was timed perfectly for, for him to, to I think, uh, rehabilitate himself, to, to, to use your word. And then I think as well to, um, I think to, to really, um, I think further himself. I think he's really come out of this like in a really great place and he's been very successful. I do think he has to have a good last season. I think that's kind of important that he kind of bookends his time here with something successful. I think that's probably, you know, a Champions Cup. I think they've been, you know, close. And I think they need to get... They're, they're, they're a little bit behind and they're thinking on it somewhere. They haven't been able to deliver the big performance when they needed to. Uh, I think that's something that'll really annoy him and annoy everyone else if they don't, if his time there doesn't finish off with a cup. So uh, I think it's also, in, in saying that, I think it is the right time for a bit of new blood, a bit of new thinking. I think there's plenty of quality out there. I think Leinster are in a great position with all the bodies they have and quality they have. I think the age profile of the squad bar a few key guys, very key guys in fairness, um, you know, is still very good. And I think there's a huge opportunity for someone to come in and build on the great work that he's done. So well done to him. I think he's been brilliant. I think he's, uh, you know, as you said, seven years, still a very big commitment to a place. And I think he's, I think he leaves it, no matter what, I think he leaves it in a better position than he did uh, when he came in. So he can be very proud of his work here, I think. Yeah, Rude, like, what what way do you think Leinster should go about replacing him? Should they try to get someone as close to the Lancaster, maybe not the personality necessarily, but his skill set, should they? Does it have to be a one man who comes in? Could it, you know, do they do go down the head coach route under Leo Cullen? Do they go with two people? What, what do you think they should do? Well, that this is the thing. It's It's a very interesting model and the model has been built around the personalities that are, that are there you know Lancaster 
is a former national team head coach who was at a low ebb and was looking for something very specific. And it worked out that he came in under Leo, but really running the show in in most senses. But Leo was kind of the one who whose name was on the team sheet, who, who put his name to the team, who did all the media in front of the team. But Lancaster did all the coaching and he was happy to do it that way. Um so will you get someone who's willing to kind of park their ego in the same way and not be the top man? There's very few head coaches who fit that profile. Tony Brown is a name that, you know, the former Highlanders coach is assistant coach of Japan who works under Jamie Joseph, doesn't like the limelight. Wayne Smith, I, I think it's unlikely that they get him, but again, he's a, a coach's coach who doesn't want to do media, doesn't want to be, be out there front and center. He wants to be on the pitch. He wants to be, Kind of influencing things behind the scenes, he'd be like he'd be an amazing appointment because he's supposed to be the the, the guru, the, the the brains behind the All Black success of the last fifteen years. Like if if you go after a Scott Robertson, which you know Scott Robertson has said he wants to coach internationally, but he also has said I think previously that he wants to win, you know, on both sides of the of the equator and and like Leinster have a pre existing relationship with the Crusaders. Andrew Goodman is there, his former assistant at the Crusaders. He could conceivably have his head turned by this job. He turned Munster down last year, but if the All Blacks are saying that Joe Schmidt is going to take over from Ian Foster after the World Cup, well then he's definitely going to be on the table. And, and this is a job that could tempt him. O'Gara is someone they could go after. Would he come to Leinster? I mean, I think he possibly would, you know. But would he work with Leo Cullen in this current structure? I'm not sure. It's it's kind of ill-defined. I mean, I, I have mentioned Johnny Sexton's name a couple of times around it. I think it's too soon for the senior coach job, but I think what you could see is Goodman step up and then O'Brien come in with, sorry, Sean O'Brien step up from his kind of contact skill role with Sexton and they're kind of working underneath that structure of Cullen and Goodman. That's another com- combination they could go for, but they're going to have no shortage of applications. And we have to remember that, you know, beneath the kind of top layer of coaches, there are very talented, very skillful coaches like, and Michael Checker, Joe Schmidt, who we don't necessarily know about, um, as well as as kind of the names that I've mentioned, who could come in and be the perfect fit for this job. Your man Scott, Scott Wisemantle is someone I was just thinking of, the guy who you know who created the English attack at the 2019 World Cup and is a really highly thought of attack coach. Like he's a fella you could potentially recruit. You know, these I mean, I'm not, this is not something I'm hearing. I'm just plucking names out of the sky. But you know, the caliber of coach that Leinster will be able to attract will be very, very strong. The World Cup is happening this year. You're going to have coaches on the market. You're going to have a shake-up. They will have no shortage of good names on the table. It's getting that fit right. But they've done it before. They've done it well. They've done it badly. They've got to learn from their mistakes. You know, Mick Dawson is leaving the, the province, the CEO, in November. Shane Nolan's coming in. He's new to rugby. He's coming from Google. But they do have a very solid rugby department with Guy Easterby and Leo Cullen, two very experienced cam operators uh, making that pick. They don't get it right every time, but they get it right a lot of times out of, out of 10. So um, you'd be pretty confident that they'll do it. But it's it's a big appointment. It's a big moment in Leinster's recent history, especially if Sexton retires, even though there seems to be a growing... Uh, bit of speculation that he might the, the show might go on i don't know luke have you have you been chatting to him is he going to keep going beyond the world cup we're not sure yet but uh that would be interesting but no I, I think there's like there's no shortage of names that you could could mention and they're all going to be you know you, they're going to be ringing all these people yeah luke just on, on johnny sexton because it's funny myself and Rudd were texting about it the other day because I, I read his line in his piece as mentioning it kind of almost offhand and then the more i thought about it the more i i kind of liked the idea of it i, I thought it made sense you know, someone with his intellectual... Can, I'm not going to say anything on that. I literally, I played with him recently. played a game of paddle with him recently. Uh, he's in great form, still in great condition. Um, you know, I think um, the fire is still there. But no, I mean, I, I don't know. I think he's, um, you know, I'd be, 
I think he's probably made a decision on it, and I'd say I, I'd be I'd say it would take a lot for him to shift. Now maybe, you know, maybe that Lancer are maybe in flux that might tempt him, but I, I don't know. I still feel like the time is probably right for them to start making the move towards, you know, whether it's Ross Byrne or whether it's Kieran Frawley or Harry Byrne. Like I think the time is right for that. In terms of the coaching piece, though, I meant is more like even the coach. I don't know. I, I I'm not sure about that. I'm not a, the anything I say here actually gets. <laughs> is he good at paddle? He's pretty good, actually. We did win against a couple of my pals, um, but then he had me as a partner, so I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, it was uh, no look. It's it, it's a really interesting one. There's a few really interesting candidates, I suppose, that have that are. Like, I mean, Sean O'Brien is someone who I always felt, and you know, Will from from our conversations when he's been on the pod. Um, you know, I always felt time that he'd actually be a great coach. Um, now he's a lot going on. You know, Sean, he's a he's a busy guy. He's kind of lots of things pulling out of him. But I think if he had a you know, bigger role, I think he, he'd probably have to make sure that that's the only thing that he's doing, Um, you know, because it's just, he's shown he's a guy, he's so involved in the local community and all that. You could see that from obviously trying to play for Carlo again. Carlo, he'll kill you. He'll oh, be sorry, oh, yeah. geez, he kill me for saying Carlo. Yeah, God, sorry. Um, But yeah, no, um, he's a brilliant mind, you know, he, always, he was always a brilliant communicator and I think he'd be a really good coach and I think it'll be interesting to see his first year, but that might be too soon for him. Uh, to, to go and get that. I think Leinster are probably beyond that at this point. I think it's Rory was, was talking about there, I think is completely right. Leinster are in a fantastic position. Really important that, because in, in terms of the, the people that will be interested in this role, because you've got so much resources and I think there's a real depth in the squad. Um, so I think that, you know, they'd be in a great position in terms of the candidates. The key part now is that they pick the right person. Um which I think they should have a bit of experience about what they want. Uh, having pro- this, like this group of people, have been through, you know, you know, people that were great fits, but also people who weren't as probably the exact right fit that might have been similar to uh, other bodies that that say Rory is is putting forward. You know, de- seem to be great operators, but really didn't fit the actual um, the the Leinster way. The Len- there is a, a Leinster way in terms of the discipline and the way you go about your your kind of daily routines and the habits that you build. That, I think, is part of the culture there now. And I think, um, you know, they probably need to make sure that those things match versus getting someone who's really exciting. And, do you know, that kind of way, that would be my view on, on, on the appointment. It's probably better to have a personality fit. I think lots of the bedrocks, you know, the skills, the training, the discipline, all those kind of things, the resources, they're all there for the person. It's just a matter of getting the right fit because I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel coming to Leinster. It's been really noticeable that Sean O'Brien is has a much more prominent role than Dennis Leamy had, the man he replaced. He's in the coach's box. Leamy was never in the coach's box on, on, on match day. He wasn't really involved in match day. Him and Hugh Hogan, who had that role before, they were very much during the week building up. O'Brien has a much more prominent role. What we're hearing is that he's really, really good and he already has the ear of the players. I mean, he only retired last year, last year, in the last season. I know he's been away from Leinster for a couple of years and he has been coaching over in England while he's been playing for London Irish, partly because he's been had so many injury issues. But he's been preparing for this and he's hit the ground running. All we're hearing is that it's really, really good. The but other Sean thing... I've actually been coaching, uh, Rod, sorry to interrupt you, just to uh, tie in, I hope you don't lose your place because I think you're in the, in the flow there. But Sean, he's <laughs> been coaching since he's about 20. Seriously, yeah. since he's 20. Like he's been coaching for ages down in Tullow. Like, so yeah. I think, he, oh, sorry, just to tie in with your point, you're 100% right. Like, he be, he's been he's been training for this without probably even knowing he's training for this for 15 years. Do you know that kind of way? 
Sure, and like, and you can see it, and you can you can tell that I think from the players because you know, no matter how many caps you have, no matter how experienced you were as a player, if you're no good at a, as a coach, the players will see through you in a couple of days. And and the fact that you're Sean O'Brien won't carry any any further. You know, it'd be the same with Johnny if he went in as a coach. And not like I think Johnny would probably make an excellent coach if he wanted to go down that road. You know, if he does want to go down that road, Sexton, I think Leinster have to look at the O'Gara experience and think about that because. Everyone expected that O'Gara would end up at Munster. And now, 10 years from when he actually went into coaching, nine years after he went into coaching, the prospect is that he's never going to coach Munster. That he is more likely to actually coach Leinster than he is Munster. He's more likely to go straight into the Ireland job. I remember interviewing him after a European semi quarterfinal over in Racing. They just beaten Toulon, and he talked about the dream of going into Munster with, with, with Paul O'Connell. But the timing was never right, and he became too su- so successful, and his trajectory took him in a different direction, so that it just never fit. And if you le- if you do allow, say, a Sexton does want to become a coach, and that's a big if at this stage, but if he wants to become a coach, and say he goes with Lancaster to Racing, or he goes to New Zealand, or he goes and explores the world for a couple of years, the timing may never line up for him to be involved in Leinster again. And you're letting that amount of IP out the door. You're letting that experience, that leadership, that respect out the door. Whereas if you bring him in and you give him, say, a skills coach job to start off with or a role with the academy and you build him up through that in the way that they are with, with, with O'Brien or you give him the senior coach role because you think he's good enough to do it. I think that's too soon, but you're at least have him in the building and you're man- you're helping him manage your his career and you're building him through and you haven't lost, lost him. Because once he leaves and he goes off and does something else, there's no guarantee he'll come back. So they have to be thinking about that as well and Leo Cullen always puts Leinster first I think that's something that he is excellent at and it's, it's one of the reasons Leinster is so successful in his time there you know he was you know he was he was humble enough and I think humility is sometimes overrated but in his case it's not because he was humble enough to bring in Stuart Lancaster hand on the reins and say it's your team now and and it's been a hugely successful thing for the province it, it may inhibit his if he's going for big jobs in the future people will always look at it and go well who was actually you know running the team there but he was willing to put Leinster first, and that was a, a huge call on him. No scenario in your mind where Leo now comes into that role that Lancaster ha- ha- has filled. Like in my mind, it's always felt like, um, you know, Leo. There's certainly it's not a lack of, uh, you know, brain power. Certainly with Leo, like that he wouldn't be able to do this gig. Like he's been standing right next to, to Lancaster. He would have been going through the game plan in depth with him, undoubtedly. Um, he's obviously been, you know, would have had a hand on the lineouts, I'm sure as well. Um. You know, is it a natural fit for someone like him to go in as now the head coach or just move back towards that a little bit more? Is that something you think? Well, is, he's got Goodman there as well. So Goodman, Goodman could take over the attack. Leo takes more control over the forwards. He sets the game plan and you bring O'Brien up a little bit. Maybe you bring Sexton back or maybe there's someone else you bring in at that level, you know, the, that, you know, the junior coach. So you bump everyone up one and Leo takes. I think that's definitely a possibility. Are you convinced he goes into coaching? Johnny? Yeah. No. Okay. But I think he could be a great coach, and I think that they should probably try and encourage him to be a great coach. Like, you know, there's a lot of... I think the RFU and Leinster should be trying to get steer him in that direction because if he'd be... Like O'Connell, like O'Connell toyed with the idea of leaving it all together and, he, like, look at what he's doing for Ireland. And maybe the national team's in better fit. He's got a young family, all of that. You know him better than I do. But, you know, but I think it's definitely something that's... Like, it's a conversation that's definitely going to be happening behind the scenes. Leo Cullen will definitely talk to Johnny about what he wants to do at some point in the next couple of weeks or months. And, you know, it would be silly not to. So it's definitely on the table. He'll have lots of things on the table. Like, he's a very bright guy. Um, you know, and it'd be int- I'd be very surprised that someone like him, with, it, with the amount of kids he has and all that, that, you know, the push to maybe move into something else isn't there as well. You know, and I think he'd have lots of suitors for that. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch that space. I mean, I, I, I've, you know, uh, it, it, I, I'm certainly like... The, 
I think this conversation has really aroused people's interest in that, and they kind of go, mm, okay, well, actually, how how does this work? And Leinster, in fairness, like I would be surprised if he wants to move the family again straight away, but um, you never know. I think Raj would have, I'm sure, like him, him and Raj have become very close, I think, over the years, and I would say Raj's kids have had a great experience living in all the different countries, and um, I say that from a bit of a distance, not only a few conversations with him, but the family seem to have really enjoyed uh, you know, moving around. So I think that's probably something that you build up that's probably more difficult in your, you know, you, you think, oh, I've got a young family, you know, don't want to unsettle them in school. But kids, I think, always are way more adaptable than adults in that respect, you know. So interesting to see if, if, if that is something that comes about or, or this move from Lancaster, you know, does it, does, it, does it send Johnny Sexton down a different path, I think, than maybe he might have planned. Would he have to change his style of communication? Obviously, he's very well known for his very direct, blunt way of communicating with teammates, see it on the pitch during matches and stuff. As a coach, would you have to be softer delivering That's your messages? That's on the pitch, Will. That's hmm? more on the pitch. Honestly, he's really good behind the scenes. He's very direct. Um, you know, just generally, I think he, he doesn't have much time for, um, uh, you know, kind of skirting around real issues. I think he's actually quite considered when he speaks as well. Um, of course, he'd have the respect, but also he really understands the game. Now, he has a certain way of looking at it that I think, um, you know, maybe I didn't seek him out as much, but I always felt he kind of, I, I never got the full information from him. I probably didn't seek it out. He was probably, you know, he had bigger fish to fry during the week of, of, of preparation, but I'd, I'd love to actually sit down and talk rugby with him really i haven't really done do you know that kind of way do you know when you talk to your guy how would you actually set up a team how would you how would you go about assessing what way you should play i've never really actually talked to him about that i always felt like he 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 had all that information but i never sought it out i'd love to i'd say he'd be a great interview rory actually when he's actually if he if he does finish and if he was to go into coaching he'd be a super interview to say well what kind of coach do you think you'd be you know what what would you if you were looking at a team you know you know do you think he'd be able to do that? Do you think he'd be good at assessing the personalities and the 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 resources that you have and figure out how we could play, or or do you have only one way of, of playing? Get him on the pod. I came a paddle and then a sit down afterwards. You know, it's just <laughs> I can see it. I'll, I'll happily write it up. Rod, like just one last thing on this because I know we, we we've kind of gone down a bit of a rabbit hole on, on the sex and piece of it, but like it does strike me when we were chatting about it ourselves that like I don't think there's ever I've ever seen a player exert so much influence on a team any team than Johnny Sexton does on Leinster and Ireland. Like even the way he's pointing at players where to go as plays are unfolding. It strikes me that of all people who would be equipped perhaps to step straight into a, a reasonable coaching position, he could be one of them. I know obviously people don't really like if a player goes right in because they, you know, they played with them, but he does strike me as particularly unique in that regard with the influence and the kind of the way he's almost like a coach in the pitch anyway. Am I, yeah, do you think I'm I, right I think if that? he, I think if he was doing it in a dressing room where he'd Luke and Rob, Rob Carney and Brian O'Driscoll, and you know if he was thirty, you know if he's thirty-one and he had to retire, like that maybe was the case. But the current dressing room, I mean, I know he gets on with the other players, but like they're all they all grew up idolizing him as well. You know, they, they've looked up to him. He's been a, a senior figure in that dressing room for for as long as they've been playing rugby. You know, so I don't think that's going to be as much of a challenge for him. And you know, look, there's an exception to every rule. Yes, it's not a it's it, the history would tell us that moving straight into coaching and coaching your mates isn't the best thing in the world, but it can work. It's, there's nothing to say that he can't make it work if that's what he wants to do. And again, I think that's a big if, and you know, we're, we're talking, you know, like we're, we're, it's speculative, like it's definitely speculative, but I, I, it's definitely would have crossed his mind at some stage and whether he'll go down that route, I don't know whether they'll want him to right now. I don't know, but I, he could make it work. He's, 
He's a hugely capable person who knows the game inside out. He's been basically an on-field coach for the last 10, 12 years. He's, you know, he's helped design the playbook. If, you know, whatever um, it's been put, you know, whatever's in that playbook, he knows it front and back. And, you know, who better to guide his replacement through being the number 10 for Leinster and, you know, and, and potentially Ireland than him himself, you know, and that would be, you know, look, he's well capable of doing it. I think that that's, that's, that's without doubt, whether he wants to or not is the big question. Well, it'd be fascinating to see how it unfolds over the next couple of months and who they ultimately do appoint. Going back to on-field matters, Luke, I suppose the, the big result of the weekend was probably Munster on Sunday against the Dragons suffering that defeat. We kind of went through their defeat to Cardiff. This was a lot worse, hard to take any positives from it. You know, I don't think we were concerned that much last week. It was the opening game of the season, but they brought back a lot of big guns against the Dragons and still were, you know, pretty comprehensively beaten. What did you make of it? It was really messy, like lots of kind of big players making mistakes. I think it probably, when I, when I say that, I think they got they came in for a lot of flack on the radio during the week and different things. And I, and I suppose you do have to be careful. Like it was a pretty fast track. Uh, thought the Dragons were actually pretty decent um, in, in some patches, particularly going forward. Um, but it looked like a bit of an early, you know, it looked like the first game of the season for a few bodies, Will, to, to my mind, you know, particularly um, the Pete O'Mahony one where the, you know, with the missed tackle and the Fekato, you know, just a little bit messy. It looked like an early season one for some of them. Um, but I thought what was really, what they really need to get a handle on, and it's similar enough to Connacht, but definitely Munster as well, the amount of penalties quite far away from their goal line was astounding to me. Like, I just feel like some people have no radar for, you know, where you should be giving them away. And, you know, you know that kind of danger, I'm going to say danger radar, but you know that kind of where you get a, a flashing red going, okay, you know, this is a good penalty. This is, you know, a bad penalty. I felt like there wasn't much of that going on. And look, that could be early season, people not fully up to fitness, not thinking straight. The game, you know, is not as slow as it normally would be when, you know, you've had a couple of, you know, five or six games under your belt. You know, you're probably coming with new ideas into a game with new coaches and things like that. So look, there's lots going on there. Um, I would expect them to turn it around in Cork, uh, you know, this weekend, uh, maybe settle things things down. I think uh, it's probably not time to panic right away, but certainly there's lots of things that they need to get right. I would say the discipline straight away is is an issue for them. You can't let a team, you know, just keep, you know, ticking over on that scoreboard and, and keep them in the game or get ahead of them in the game that way. And defensively, you just have to be stingier. You just have to be. Um, so... Um, yeah, look, I think it's not time to panic straight like right, right away, but like certainly they need to get a few of the bedrocks of your game, your discipline and your defense, to my mind, are very easy things to fix. Uh, and they, they need to get those things right, Will, uh, pretty quick. Yeah, two of the things that jumped out to me was was the handling and the passing. I just thought, like the one that's been highlighted a lot was Mike Haley in the last two or three minutes, had three men outside him and, and just kind of flipped this real casual pass, both forward and into touch. And Fekatoa had a similar one earlier in the second half that went straight into touch and... You know, for for quality backs like those two guys, both internationals, one and all black, you'd you'd expect a lot more. Like Rod, I know you were writing about it in today's paper, giving your take. And you know, obviously from a performance point of view, it's concerning. But even just going, you know, down the the results point of view, you know, what you know, what two points from a potential ten they might have been targeting before the season, their fixtures to come: Connacht away, Bulls home, Leinster away, Ulster home after the Sebre fixture. You know. In a more competitive league, there there are a lot of points to throw away early in the season in games you probably would have penciled in for a win as well. Like I know there are some bad teams in this league, but it's not that uncompetitive. And I think if you if you ship too many defeats, you're going to be in trouble. And whether it's European qualification or getting into the top eight, they should be okay. 
but you know they need to be getting home advantage in the in the in the quarterfinals and like they should be strong enough to be challenging for home advantage in the semifinals as well and I know the South Africans have come in and they're they're really strong but Munster have a, a very good squad I know they like they're not as strong as, as Leinster across the board but they have very very good players and a lot of those very good players were playing on Saturday and I accept or Sunday I accept that it was their first largely their first game of the season but there are fundamentals that shouldn't drop even if the game plan is still bedding in and you're not quite sure where you're supposed to be for a rook or whatever and missing basic tackles and catch pass surely should be should be part of that and you know it's only it's very early in Maliki Fakatoa's uh, monster time but it hasn't been great so far and he is the man they've invested all their budget into you know they Graham Ranchi, I, I I think we have to reserve judgment on him till next season because he hasn't had a transfer window. This isn't his squad he put together. The preseason uh, schedule wasn't put together by him. I'm sure he probably wouldn't have given them a week off before the start, you know, a week before the start of the season um, if he had his way. And he is trying to, like, we are hearing that they're trying to they're trying to play train a lot faster. The Prendergast has brought in a new game style. The Leamy's brought in a new defence. It's a lot to take on. And, you know, Joe Schmidt, both with Ireland and Leinster, it took a, it took a couple of weeks. But the season, that Leinster, you know, lots made out of three out of four games that he lost at the start of his career. And O'Driscoll had to go back, go go to bat for him in the media and stuff. But the Pro 12 or whatever it was called then wasn't as good as the URC is now. And it was a lot longer. There was a lot, there was, there was you know, you had a lot greater margin for error. And people didn't care about it as much either. The URC is the only thing Munster can realistically win this season. And now they're already behind the eight ball on it. Um, it's concerning to me. Yeah, Luke, you know, what are you expecting to see in the next couple of weeks? As Rudd mentioned, the coaches are bringing in changes that will take time to bet in. Like like last week, I asked you how long it is realistic before we can see it. I suppose after last weekend's performance, it looks even more drastic, the, the surgery that's needed. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I expect them to bounce back against the Dragons. So, um, yeah, that's a bit of egg in the face for me. But look, I think... Um, you know what? What do you think? What, what would you expect to see? I think you'd expect the kicking game to to, to tighten up. I'd, I'd be going back to, to to your basics. I think, you know, obviously you mentioned the handling, but like that that's a basic. You know, that, to, to my mind. So I'd be thinking about your handling, your kicking game, your defense, and your discipline. Those things, you get those things right, you're you're already in a, in a really good position to go and put pressure on the opposition and get yourself a win. And I think once the pressure's off, I think you can start seeing guys like playing a little bit of rugby. Like we've got to remember, like we're obviously not going to discuss it, but there's other issues off field that are, you know, would have been very distracting this week as well. You know, so there's lots on the on the plate then in Munster. I'm kind of reticent to pass judgment too quickly, but you know, as both of you have alluded to, they need to get things right pretty quick. Like you don't want to be chasing your tail against the big teams, you know, in this season, particularly when, <laughs> as Rudd said as well, you know, um, in his comments, you know, probably isn't the coach's team as of yet like he has a lot of young guys that he's trying to blood as well particularly in key positions in the front row i'm thinking of like he played some of the older heads we saw a few of the older heads against the dragons for for parts of it anyway and um you know there's lots of i don't know i think this is a really tricky task for him this season i i, I think he has lots of potential as a coach i think he's a great person as well i think he'll have people that will want to play for him um but it's just getting the right bodies in and you know having enough time he needs to get I'd probably be thinking, yes, they want to play this faster game and they should, they need to play a faster game. Like every team that's doing well is playing a faster game, bar South Africa, I suppose. Um, but I do think you need to be pragmatic as well at this point. And those four pillars that I mentioned earlier on, that's what I'd be going back to at this point to, to try and get a bit of that momentum going because they need a big performance in front of the home crowd who are going to be on their backs a little bit if they don't play well, I think. Um, you know, talking to a few guys, just, you know, anecdotally in work, 
uh, who are big monster supporters, you know, they're really worried about this start um, and really surprised at it. So I think, um, you know, they, they need to they need to calm the calm the voices down there um, and make sure that they um, put in a good performance in the independent park and get a bit of momentum going early. Will if that means they're not playing that brand exactly to what they want to to the to the specifications that um, you know the the coaches want in terms of the pace, then so be it at this point. Well, yeah, if they can't put away Zebra at home, it, it, it certainly probably will be a long season. You know, you mentioned there, you know, maybe not to judge Graham Rowntree until there's a, a transfer window. But, like, realistically, how many players would, would be brought in? You know, I, for me, like, the job of a, of a coaching staff coming in when there's a decent squad, which I think Munster have, is to improve the guys who were there. Like, when Stuart Lancaster came in, we talked about him for a lot of the start of the show. His kind of first thing was improving the guys who were there. That was that was where the big success came. There was obviously a James Lowe and a Scott Fardy, but it was the guys who were there that he elevated that was the key to the success. Is that not what Mike Prendergast is there to do with the new attacking shape and what Graham Rowntree would hope to do? I think Leinster were were underperforming at that stage. They'd already I mean, they did reach the uh you forget what the competition was called at the time, the URC final that previous season. And Matt O'Connor, for all that he got a lot of stick, did get it to a European semi final and was a, an intercept. We won't, you know, remind Ian Madigan too much about it, but like the, an intercept try away from getting to a final, you know. So, you know, like this was not a bad, and it was still the bulk suppliers to Joe Schmidt's Ireland team. So it's not like, you know, I think you're, you're not comparing like with like really. I think Munster are, were in a bit of a spiral towards the end of last season. The performance. In the quarterfinal against Ulster was 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 awful, you know. Like that was a, again a trophy that's there to be won against an Irish rival, and they went up and they phoned it in in, King, in the Kingsman Stadium. Really, really awful. So they, I think this is a difficult job, and I think they're lacking firepower in one major area, and that's their tight five. And they've spent their budget in the centre, you know. So they've bought two centres, but didn't bring anyone in the in the tight five. That was crazy, left, by the way. I, I, yeah, I they left players go. You know, they've let players go over a lot. Like James Cronin, they let go. John Ryan, they let go. I'm not saying John Ryan would have been the difference, but he's a very solid scrummager. They're left with Keenan Knox and Roman Salanoa behind Stephen Archer. I think it's time to start backing those two players. I know Salanoa is over with Emerging Ireland, but like they, they're they're young, they're dynamic, they're powerful, and they're the future. You know, Archer has been a great servant to Munster, but he gave away a lot of penalties at the weekend. But that's, you know, I, they, they should have been signing Malcolm Marks or someone of that profile last summer. And... They put their budget into Malachi Fekatoa, who hasn't started well. And, you know, we all know he's quality, but did they actually need a centre when they were signing Antoine Frisch as well, an Irish qualified centre from France who was playing for Bristol? So that's what I mean about Roundtree. Like, you know, the pack is the issue and they haven't addressed the pack. I think if he gets, if he's able to sign a world-class operator in the front row, I think then you might have the platform to build off next season. You, you know, the coaching part, yes, you're right, Will. I mean, they have to, you know, they, they have to find a, a playing identity that fits the squad that they have. They tried to play a South African way under Johan van Graan, but they don't have the cattle for that. They don't, they, especially if they don't sign a player like Marks. And obviously, Snayman didn't hasn't played for his entire signing. You know, again, like they reinvested in Orgy Snayman, who hasn't barely played for them, and he's still injured. And like it, that's a disaster. I mean, that I think that was a bad call. They probably should have put their money into Jason Jenkins, albeit he had a bad injury profile as well. But look what he's doing for Leinster. You know, he, he's. He's tearing up trees for them. So, look, I'm kind of rambling now, but the the, I think Roundtree deserves a season. I you certainly wouldn't be judging him right now. And he has the time on his side, and young players have the time on their side. It's the guys who've been there for 10 years and won nothing who don't have time on their side because their their careers are coming to an end, and they they, they, they will finish having never tasted silverware with Munster. And that's, 
you know, that's ultimately going to be a major regret for them. Yeah, it feels like unfair to be kind of talking this tone so early in the season. But when you see two results like that and certainly a performance like the one against the Dragons, it does kind of prompt concern. So that's why, you know, an early season game against Zebra now all of a sudden is almost like appointment viewing because you just want to see if they can bounce back and put together a good performance. So that'll be very interesting to see on Saturday. You know, another big talking point from the weekend, Luke, was another red card for Bunliaki and his supposed kind of post-red card, you know, interaction with the referee. He got sent off for a, a shoulder to the head at a clear out of the rook and then was, you know, in the referee's face afterwards. What did you make of the whole, you know, scene? It, it obviously didn't look good. It wasn't good. He's probably going to be banned for a portion of the autumn internationals, he'd presume, given he has previous red cards to his name and interactions with referees. What's your thoughts? It's funny, everyone was talking about where the collision took place, but I actually thought the biggest issue with it was not actually where he collided with him, it was actually how he entered the contact. He entered off his feet, kind of diving into it, uh, which meant that it was very dangerous. Whereas if he actually hit where he hit and was just, and he actually planted his foot as close to the to the contact as you would, you know, as, as you're kind of taught to, um, you know, I think he probably would have been able to grab one of the arms and almost like a can opener effect, like kind of pop him out, if you know what I mean. Um so I actually think it's it, his technique was poor. I I think look the intent going into the rook should always be the same is that you you know you need to be destructive and and you need to be violent in there, but uh, like I think you know I'm just talking about the collision first. We talk about the, the ill discipline, the real ill discipline, in my opinion afterwards. So his, his technique is an is an issue uh, going into that, and I feel like he got a lot of stick for where the contact really took place. But I actually think he was out of control going in there because he was actually late. And he looked sloppy throughout when he was on the pitch. Actually, he had a few good moments. He looks very big. Like he's a big guy. I feel like he gets better after a couple of games. But he actually had a very sloppy defensive um, performance uh, for the most part um, when he was on. And this was just another one. He was he was late to the to the to the uh, contact area. He was slow getting there, and he went off his feet, and he got pretty unlucky, I think. But his technique still was poor. Uh, and that's what that's probably why I think we ended up with a dangerous collision. Uh, in terms of the the interaction afterwards with the referee, he's got a bit of prior with this stuff as well. I think he's always a bit mouthy. Um, and I think um, yeah, I think it was really poor. I think they I think they're going to throw the book at him. I think the the uh, you know the refs have been talking about it as well. Um, I can't remember the name of the geez, the, the the chief of the referees. Uh, Sorry, what's his name? Rose Tapa Henning. Yeah, he, they said they're going to, you know, it's unacceptable. I think they're going to throw down a marker here and, and, and make an example of him. And I think they probably should do that. I mean, to be continuing on even with the fourth official when he went off, I think is really poor as well. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I find it hard to have much sympathy for him. I think, look, it was an early season type of clear out. Um, you know, he was a little bit lazy, probably tired, um, you know, given that it was his first run out. And I think he's, you know, there's a bit of bad luck in there as well, but I think they, you know, they made the right decision. It was definitely a red card, and I think they're going to throw the book at him for the performance afterwards, which I think is right too. Because I think, just generally looking at the game, it's becoming a little bit loose on, in in that respect, and that's always probably going to happen when you've got people assessing referees. Like teams will go out and assess a referee, and they'll be trying to get in his ear about different things that he's been saying to the team during the week, and they've let that go a little bit um, over the years. And I think this is a kind of a result of that. Um, so I think this is an opportunity for them to stamp their authority. And I think they should do it, um, which is actually really disappointing for the likes of Aki, who's a very important player for um, for Connacht particularly, but, le- but also for Ireland as well. So, um, yeah, I think he's in a bit of trouble. 
And when you see coaches like Rosie Erasmus doing 50-minute videos and leaking it on uh, Vimeo or whatever, it obviously doesn't set a great example for players. Uh, you know, Rud, you know, Puniaki, he got sent off twice for Ireland in the last, you know, three years. One with the World Cup, one in the last Six Nations. So he has had kind of red cards in, in the recent past. And as Luke mentioned, you know, kind of verbals with Matthew Reynal after the um, after the Connacht-Leicester game, I think last January maybe. He's probably facing a decent ban. Like, how long? Like, do you think he's probably a doubt for the autumn internationals in its entirety? Like, what? As Luke said, you know, there's a perception that they might give a hefty ban for as much as the afters as for the incident itself. Although the Stormers player uh, apparently will be facing some time out. What, what's your read on that part yeah, of it? He's out. Sonatla is out for four to six months, which is again, you know, it's the duty of care piece. You know, it's kind of, and that's you know that that's unfortunate. And his, they, I think there is a wider conversation to be had about the jackal. I think it's. It, it's increasingly clear to me that it's too dangerous. Like I think if Sonatla steps over and tries to pick the ball up there, which he had time to do, it's a far safer thing for him to do for his own body. When I was playing first off, like when I started out, which is a long time ago, you used to have to step over the ball before you picked it up. And I think it's a safer thing to do, but in the, under the current laws, as they currently are, Sonatla went in and he was illegal. Like he, he put his hand on the ground before he pulled back and picked up the ball. It happens a lot. And, and Luke's right. I mean, and Bunyak, he's hit enough rooks in his career to know how to get Sonatla off the ball legally. And if ultimately, like, you know, it led to a Connacht try, the speed of the clear out that he got, you know, the power, he powered him off the ball and Connacht went and scored a try. And in, in a, you know, 10 years ago, he probably would have applauded for a great hit doing your job and, and all that. But under the current rules as they are, he's, you know, he's no excuses. And, Look, I've been sent off for the send playing playing rugby. You know, I've I've I have I'm not going to adopt the whole year and Dow. Um, they didn't have you down as a dirty bugger. I know, like yeah, no, I, I was mouth, I was mouthy enough, like, and I, I was an unused sub. I was sent off in scaries as in a J two match once, and I'm not proud of it. But I knew I was going into the Leinster branch the following Wednesday. I knew I was getting a ban. You know, like it, there's no excuse for it. You got to put your hand up. You got to apologize, and you got to take what's coming. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and say what won't someone think of the children? And he's a bad example and stuff. But like, if you do that on with the amount of cameras that are there, if you confront the referee in the way that he did, yes, he is looking at a significant ban and even if he's available for for november he won't play before then really it's very like it's only five weeks or five weeks away i think it's if he gets a six-week ban he's out of south africa and that's the game ireland need him for really and he was a key player whether it was off the bench or starting in new zealand like he's still a very important player to ireland Nanny farrell likes to use him in a 23 role he's just you know he's a test lion and he's Connacht's greatest ever player, I think. If you if you step back from it a little bit, like he's he's he the impact he's made down there is incredible, and their schedule is every bit as difficult as the one Will laid out for Munster earlier, and they're they've had a bad start to the season as well. And suddenly now, you know, he's not there for them, and that's let them down as well. And you know, these red cards have been costly. He missed a World Cup quarter final. You know, people didn't read. It wasn't a big deal at the time for some reason, but you know, he missed that All Blacks game. He probably wasn't going to start, but he might have come off the bench. He certainly reduced Ireland's options in that week. Like, that's a big thing to miss. One of the issues that I'm thinking that he might have is that he thinks that it's kind of the, the world against him in a certain respect um, because obviously he's got a bit of bad press this week. But like, I, I, what, I would, what you'd love to see him do is actually sit down, have a look at his game and say, you know what, you know, he's, he's, a, big, he's a big guy. Like, he's super powerful. He, if he just plants his foot close to these and drives his feet through, like he, yeah, and, he's, and he's in a low position, he's still going to clear people. He's still going to have enough impacts around the pitch to not lose that great part of his game, that physical part of the game. The, the reason that we, you know, he gets picked in all the teams and he's such a good player is that is that he's able to be a physical presence for for them, you know. And I think if, if his technique, if he if he 
if you can step away from getting that massive one, do you know that massive hit that has to be perfectly timed where you nearly leave your feet and you launch into someone like you did in that contact? And it was a great clear out bar the t- bar obviously the area he hit. But if he goes away from that and gets his feet more into position and closer to where the contact happens, the hits aren't actually, they don't look as bad as that. And also you're way more in control of your body in these positions. And I think it'll be, if he can get his mindset into that place, he'll be able to get his arms into better positions so he doesn't tackle high. Like he had a few high ones as well over the course of his career. Um, so there's a bit of technique stuff that if he can actually calm down and go, okay, well, how do I fix this? Because clearly this is causing me problems. And, you know, it's going to lose him money. It's going to lose him games, uh, you know, in, in Irish jerseys. All these kind of opportunities that are in front of him because he's got the ability you know, this technique issues that, he, that he's having, um, he needs to sit down and have a think about it. And I, and I think he can fix it. That's, that's the thing. And look, the, the stuff with the referee is just unacceptable. You know, he needs to get a hit with a ban on that one just to learn the lesson, I think. That can't happen again. He's too big a player for both teams um, to be acting like that. And, and he should be a role model for some of the younger guys in Connacht as well. You know, they're, they're in a difficult position, as you say. He needs to be a leader there be very interesting to see what kind of ban he, he does end up getting just to finish up road you know this Friday night we have the first kind of heavyweight clash of the season Ulster versus Leinster and Raven Hill hopefully get two very strong teams it, looking like Johnny Sexton could be back Gibson Park another player I know Caitlin Doris has been ruled out after uh, getting a head knock last week you know it, it's kind of like a trial game you know you mentioned it's not that long till the autumn test we were talking last week with Keane about Stuart McCluskey Jacob Stockdale as well, you no know, might be an action. Nick Timoney, another guy, tried to be forcing his way potentially into an Ireland squad for one of those big games. It kind of makes it a little spicier. Yeah, I, I think it does have that element to it, like all the Interpros do. But I think the big thing here is that this is Ulster's chance to set down a real marker. They beat Leinster twice last season. They look like they are close, closing that gap, and they are certainly the second best team in Ireland. And I'm not saying they're going to be the best team in Ireland. You got to do that over the course of a full season and. You know, I think Leinster still have greater quality than them, but they they look really good at the moment. John Cooney's got a point to prove. Maybe the Ireland ship has sailed for him, but like he still looks like an international class player to me. Um, you know, face doesn't fit and all that. Uh, we'll see if Johnny came through the game uh, game of paddle and if he's uh, if his hamstrings are okay. Don't worry, but I do really expect him to. I love that detail. Uh, but it, like it does look like he's going to start. He always elevates the way Leinster are. And, like he doesn't. He's not a player who ever looks like he needs to kind of feel his way into a season. The way we're talking about with Munster, he just hits the ground running like those Leinster players did last week. So I think Leinster will go fully locked and loaded. I think that's part of the deal with the emerging Ireland thing. I think Ireland need the players playing. It's only as I say, it's only a few weeks until the squad will be named. We'll be looking towards November, and this I think will be a Champions Cup caliber clash between two of the best teams in, in, in this competition, two of the best teams in Europe. And it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty box office. And you're going to be there, Will. Yeah, looking forward That's to it. Making, will. making the trip with the... Uh, why are you working for Premier? We're carpooling, are we? <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk offline. Talk off, right? Yeah, we can take you the Titanic experience beforehand, maybe. <laughs> um, are you maybe, Luke, I'm, I'm claiming petrol, so you get in with me. <laughs> uh, Luke, you know, do you think Ulster can, can win this game? You know, obviously they won't. They did the double last year, but the teams were in a full strength for both fixtures. If they're both locked and loaded on Friday night, do you think Ulster can turn over Leinster? Yeah, definitely. I think they're playing um, a little bit better, probably as well, just slightly. Um, you know, Leinster had that shaky first one out in Italy, but I think that can happen first game out. Looked pretty strong at home, didn't they? But. Um, yeah, no, I think Ulster is still slightly ahead. Uh, I think they were a little bit leaky defensively against the Scarlets. Probably gave them too many ins back into that game. That should have closed that one off pretty early. Um, so they'd be a bit disappointed with that. But they were good the week before against Connacht, I thought. And 
Um, look, the key thing again for, for them against Leinster is really whether they can live with them in the pack. And I actually think their pack have been playing really well. I think they've really come on in terms of their carrying. I think their lines, their, their, their interplay amongst the forwards, their lines are running off the nines, uh, whether it be Doak or whether it be uh, Cooney. Uh, have really improved. They look like they're getting over the gain line and putting that 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 they're you know they're they're backs in a position to to hurt teams and they have a really strong backline. I think um, that's never really been in doubt the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, I certainly do think they can. And I think um, you know the key thing for them is going to be able to you know whether they can have the ball for long periods of time against Leinster. Um, because if they can do that, like I mean, Leinster will they're, they're not impregnable. Um, but you just can't have if Leinster have the ball for too long. There's too many threats all over the pitch for them. Um, they're too hard to contain for for eighty minutes, and they'll cut you up. I think so. Yeah, I think that's the key thing for them. Whether they can put you know hang on in there at the set piece, uh, whether their forwards can get over the gain line, and again if they can hang on to the ball for long periods against Leinster, they actually have a lot of threats. But you just can't give Leinster the ball for 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 too long because they're just too good. So. Um, they're the key parts for them, in, in my opinion, Will. And look, they're always difficult up in Kingspan as well to, to play against. So uh, I expect them, I, I could see them actually uh, sneaking this one, actually. Uh, you know, I think they're, um, th- they've got off to a really good start. And, uh, you know, they've a settled, reasonably settled coaching staff. Um, their biggest thing is for, for them is going to be their defense. And, um, you know, can they, can they, they, they can't, you know, they can't give Leinster the same opportunities that they gave Scarlets. Like Leinster will cut them up badly if they do that. But if they get that right, I think that all the bedrocks are there for them to to, to play well and to um, yeah, to sneak a win actually. Well, it's set up to be an absolute cracker on Friday night up in Belfast. For for the meantime, that's all we have time for on the left wing this week. I'd like to thank Luke and Rory for joining me, and we'll be back next week with another podcast. But in the meantime, you could subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, where we would appreciate if you could review and rate our show. So until next time, thanks for listening. And goodbye.